Today's reading is John 1, 43 to 51. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. When he got there, he ran across Philip and said, Come, follow me. Philip's hometown was Bethsaida, the same as Andrew and Peter. Philip went and found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote of in the law, the one preached by the prophets. It's Jesus, Joseph's son, the one from Nazareth. Nathanael said, Nazareth? You've got to be kidding. But Philip said, Come, see for yourself. When Jesus saw him coming, he said, There's a real Israelite, not a false bone in his body. Nathanael said, Where did you get that idea? You don't know me. Jesus answered, One day, long before Philip called you here, I saw you under that fig tree. Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus said, You've become a believer simply because I say I saw you on the day sitting under the fig tree? You haven't seen anything yet. Before this is over, you're going to see heaven open and God's angels descending to the Son of Man and ascending again. This is the word of the Lord. When's the last time you saw a magic trick or an illusion that just made you go, wow, how did that happen? I think for me it was I was watching for a few minutes, oh, what's it called, America's Got Talent or something? with Aiden and Kayla at our house, and there was some magician that did this, and it was like everybody's freaking out, and it was absolutely insane. And I don't know how you react at times like that. Some people get upset, like, like, like slightly angry. Like, how was I just, what did I just see? Uh, when I was younger, quite young, some of you would remember this. There was a show called That's Incredible. Do you remember that? Rick would remember that. Rick's the kind of guy that would have watched that. Exactly. We, we didn't even know each other then, but we shared the same shows. It was called That's Incredible because the word incredible actually means lacking credibility, right? It's incredible. You use it as meaning amazing, but the word itself, actually the true meaning of it is what I just saw can't be real. There's no credibility in it. And sometimes when we come across those experiences, we kind of give ourselves over to them, like the person who achieved that feat had some special powers of some kind. If I could perform some fantastic trick for you, some seeing, I could read your mind or something like that, that'd be a dangerous thing. I could tell you something that happened yesterday and there'd be no way that I would have known it. Would you then give me some special hearing? Would I have more credibility? In other words, if I could show you something with some spectacular event, would that mean more to you than if I showed you that same truth but in a non-spectacular way? This text this morning, we come across this type of question because Jesus, as these early 
followers are called and as they follow Jesus Christ, there are these moments, one that we hear in this text with Nathaniel, where Jesus seems to do something amazing, maybe incredible, and there's a response. We're nearing the end of this series on the opening of the book of John. We're just looking at chapter 1 and the very beginning of chapter 2. Chapter divisions, of course, as you know, aren't in the original scripture. These are things added later. And so sometimes, you know, a chapter actually, the, the meaning runs into, into the next chapter and the division isn't always helpful. So the last of our series will be next Sunday looking at the very beginning of chapter 2. Mostly what we've considered is the story of John the Baptist as told by John the Evangelist, the Gospel of John, right? And last week there was this key moment where John the Baptist allows, even encourages his followers to follow Jesus Christ rather than simply following him. A lesson that we can all learn from in whatever it is that we feel connected to God in. A particular style of worship, right? A particular understanding theologically, Um, a particular understanding of gifts, charismatic and otherwise. Sometimes we can get people to sign up for what we're interested in as if it's the most meaningful thing. John so easily allows his followers to follow Jesus Christ. And that's our call as a church, to help others to say yes to and to follow Jesus Christ. And so today you're going to get more calling of these followers, Philip and Andrew, Peter, Nathaniel, and more extensive telling of Nathaniel's story. These three things simply I want you to remember when you go from here. And I won't belabor each point. Some will be made quite simply. Firstly, in this text, and this can help you if you just just hear this and think about it. In this text, everywhere there is finding. It's found, 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 found over and over again. That in the spiritual life and in your thinking of the way the world is should be instructive to you. Everywhere there is finding. Secondly, the main point is that you are fully known by Jesus. The last song summed that up very, very well, perfectly. But you are fully known by Jesus Christ. We have reminders here this morning, doing a child dedication. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And thirdly, you can expect to see great things if you follow Jesus Christ. I want to note here, going back to the opening of the sermon, that when you're told you can expect to see great things, try to be more mature than simply wanting to see magic. Right? Great things in Jesus Christ are much better than magic tricks. Always. And we are to have a more mature view than that. I mean, lots of little boys, I think girls too probably, but I I have two boys. And so... Many boys tend to go through that phase where they're really into magic, right? You go down to Disneyland and you go to that magic shop at the front and you get your little... And there's something wonderful about it. But sometimes there's something properly, developmentally, immature about it. So when I say great things, I hope you desire more than just kind of spectacular things. Bigger than that, better. So firstly, everywhere there is finding, lost and found. In this text, and I won't, as I said, go through each of these occasions, I want you to get the energy more than me unpacking every one of them. But in this text, from verse 43 and reaching back a couple of verses and forward a few verses, 
Verse 43, Jesus finds Philip. Verse 41, Andrew finds Simon. Verse 45, Philip finds Nathaniel. And in a combination of verses, Andrew and Philip and an unnamed disciple, they, quote, have found the Messiah. All of this finding is going on. And where's John the Baptist in all of this? He's in the background now. In other words, John the Baptist had a role in preparing the way. He gets the ball rolling, but now, by God's grace, there's all this finding. That's our prayer as a church, as a community church. Lord Jesus Christ, would you be so present in our midst that we do that which you've called us to do, witnessing to your gospel. But then we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that there would be all this finding. But that's the work of God. Where you share this faith, how we share this faith, and our stories pick up that tone. And you know that. I mean, it could be so something so simple. You're looking for something and you can't find it and then you find it. The Bible tells us this in some of Jesus' parables. And when you find something, you just want to tell somebody that you found it. And they might not care at all. But to you, it was very, very significant. And here we have in this text, we have found the Messiah. Found, found, over and over again. Two ways that that energy works, that dynamic works in our lives, and this is true in faith, we say things like, and both are fully true, we say things like, I was lost, and then I was found. That's a faith statement. I was lost and then I was found in Jesus Christ. I was found by God in Jesus Christ. That's one side of it. But the other side is that I found Jesus Christ. See how they both work? Which one is true? Well, of course, they're both true. And all kinds of theological arguments have happened through centuries and millennia as to which one is most true. They're both entirely true. I was lost and I was found. And by God's grace, I found Jesus Christ. Everywhere there is finding. We sing of it. It's a good energy of a lot of the songs that we sing. But secondly, and for my consideration this morning, most importantly, and I ask the Holy Spirit to speak this to you in a way that I can't. Only the Holy Spirit can ultimately speak truth. So I don't know exactly how you need to know this this morning, but I can look across and around this room and I know that many of you do need to know this this morning. That you are fully known in Jesus Christ. The other way of saying this is that Jesus Christ does not, quote, get to know us. He knows us before we are aware that we are known. Do you know what it's like when you encounter somebody? It can be a spouse, a loved one, somebody you live with, can be a child, can be an acquaintance. Can even come at times from someone who till that point was a stranger. But that moment where you feel like somebody else just gets you, just knows, it's a tremendous feeling, isn't it? Why does that feel so good? It feels good because somehow you feel that in the universe you're not alone. You recall the promise of 1 Corinthians 13. After speaking of spiritual gifts emphasizing that though charismatic gifts are real, they are not higher than other gifts. They're all part of the body of Christ. And that the highest way, the most excellent way, is love. And that's where we're all headed. 
It's in that context, in that text, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Easy to remember, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Got it? Where the statement is made, now I know in part. This is talking about the completion of all things, the fullness of all things in Jesus. Now I know in part, and we would say amen. I know in part, but mostly I don't know. Most things in the world I don't know. Now I know in part, but listen to the next portion. Then I shall know I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I don't fully know now. I can share an experience of knowing you and with many of you sharing this faith that we share, which is a blessing to share. And we can have, by God's grace, those wonderful moments where it seems like we can get each other, whatever that is. And as a community, we share those with multiple people. But one day we shall, we shall know fully. Not knowing Jesus Christ's love only in this here and now, but in fullness. And then the last part of that statement, even as I am fully known, Jesus Christ does not get to know you. It's better than that. He knows you fully now. Now, if you discover that somebody on this earth knows you even to, even to a small degree, they get your sense of humor and somebody else doesn't, because the opposite can be true too, right? You're standing with someone and you know they just don't get you. And the way you speak with other people, it works, but when you're speaking with them, it's like just like this lead balloon. And you're like, this person does not understand me. But when they feel, when you feel the other, of course, it's great encouragement. Now, put that same kind of sense onto the living God, the creator of all good things. And the statement in Jesus Christ that God the Father knows you fully. How good did you feel when you were aware that another person knew you? Let me tell you something. The loving God over all the universe knows you entirely. And here's the next wonderful part. And loves you. Because some people who know you use it against you. It's, I mean, if you're the kind of person that can read people, it's easy to use that skill, talent, gift against people. But look what happens in this story with Nathaniel. Philip says to Nathanael, we found him of whom Moses speaks. We found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, which it would have been okay if they just hadn't said Nazareth. We found him. Moses speaks of him. It's Jesus. But when they said of Nazareth, Philip says, well, thou, you, I'm out. Because nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Now put your own place in there and don't say it out loud. Nothing good comes from such and such a place. And then these beautiful words. Remember, Nathaniel's a skeptic. He's not the kind of person, his words here say, who easily goes, oh, that was fantastic. I'm going to give my heart to that. I believe that fully. Some people are like that. Nathaniel's not. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. And then these simple words. They're beautiful words. They're gospel words. They could be part of a church vision statement or the rest. These words, come and see. Jesus actually spoke the same words in the previous account. Remember when they said, where are you staying? 
right? When Jesus said, what are you seeking? Or what are you looking for? Which is either the most profound question in the world or the most basic question in the world. You know, you're looking for your keys and the scripture doesn't give away which one. But Jesus says to these who will be his followers, what are you looking for? And they say to him, where are you staying? And he says to them, come and see. Which is, of course, a much larger invitation than Vancouver Real Estate, come see my place. It's come and follow me, come and see. And now, this is what Nathaniel is told when he expresses the skepticism about Jesus of Nazareth. Come and see. And then, as he approaches Jesus, Jesus Christ looks to him and says so that he can hear, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. See what's happening here? Jesus Christ sees and knows fully. Nathaniel. This is no magic trick. I have not asked him permission, and it's not in my notes, so you can beg his forgiveness on my behalf if... But I was looking at Facebook earlier this morning because everybody always looks at Facebook, right? I've checked it a few times while I've been preaching. No, I haven't actually. But. And of course, you see all the Father's Day things. Happy Father's Day, happy Father's Day. Well, my friend Scott Wheeler, who's here from time to time, he posted a thing. I don't know if anybody else is, has him as a friend. Um, but he posted one of the most beautiful expressions about being a father that you could see. And a picture of his kids. I kind of know Scott Wheeler. And I know that if you were just to meet him for five, ten minutes, you might not really know him. But by God's grace, through the years, I kind of know Scott Wheeler. And when I see Nathaniel coming towards Jesus, Jesus looks at Nathaniel, and the way that other people would describe Nathaniel, he's a bit of a crank, he's a skeptic, he's you know always saying no when we say yes. Yeah. So he, he's done it already in this story. Jesus Christ sees Nathaniel... And he sees past that surface. Past whatever kind of, if there's bravado. Or, and says, behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. This is amazing. But it's much more than a magic trick. Nathaniel in verse 48 says, beautiful, this is a, this you can pray as a faith prayer question. Start your journals with this line. If you want to journal a prayer, here's the line. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Try praying that to Jesus Christ. How do you know me? Lord Jesus, I pray this. How do you know me? See how this is so much more than that? Sleight of hand trick. Before we are aware, we are known. We are seen by Jesus Christ. This is a faith statement. I make it in faith, but I know it in faith. We know the truth of it, and we discover it more and more. And for those of us who've been Christians for years, it does continually amaze us that we say, Lord Jesus Christ, how do you know me? More than I knew myself. And Jesus says to Nathaniel, 
I saw you under the fig tree. Which is a beautiful, gentle, simple response again. You need to write this for your life because that's one that you don't easily translate in, in you know, 2017, probably here in North Vancouver. How do you know me? Jesus is probably not going to say to you, I saw you under the fig tree. But he might say to you, he might say to me, I saw you when you were riding your bike. And then I'm in. He might say to you, I saw you when you were desperately afraid just a few days ago. You thought you were at the end. I saw you. I saw you when you were afraid of the future. I saw you that other day when you were just doing that activity that you like to do. I saw you when you thought you were utterly alone. For Nathaniel, this is too much to take. It's astounding to him. And Jesus Christ, this is different than most others, and particularly in our world today, because I will tell you there are people right now in this world, it's happening as you sit there, particularly if you have a smartphone or any, any you know, electronic device that, that goes online. There are people right now who are doing everything they can to get to know you. They really, really are. And then they're selling that knowledge to one another. So that when you log on to your computer, and if you, if you go on Facebook, or especially these social media things, you guys all know this by now, right? But even if you do a Google search, and everybody does Google searches, if you don't know what Google searches are, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. But the searches you do, everything you do, and then next time you go online, all of a sudden there's an ad. And that ad is for just the exact kind of thing you like. And you say, that must be the Holy Spirit. I should purchase that. No, it's not the Holy Spirit. Well, maybe in some way, but here's what it is. I read an article this week in Newsweek about it. And one of the names they have for this is psychographic algorithms. Millions, billions of dollars spent on knowing you. Why? To help you? Let's be really nice and say, in a way it's to help you because they want to get you products that they know you'll like. But really, honestly, the motivation is to help them. Do you know there are programs and algorithms for this now? that actually, not just purchasing products, but trying to get you to make political decisions, post certain things, share news, they will know how to provoke your thought. So if, if you see this thing show up online, it's likely to make you do such and such. And they'll use that information in that way. All in an attempt to get to know you. Now, Nathaniel, in light of Jesus Christ saying, I saw you under the fig tree, in other words, you Google searched and I was, you know, I had the data, it's not that. Why does Nathaniel so quickly move to what he moves to, which is to declare his faith? Because Jesus Christ, and this is what Nathaniel knows in faith, is not in it for his good, for some market manipulation. Jesus Christ's knowledge of you, fully knowing you, and follow me, I'm going to take two steps here, okay? Jesus Christ fully knowing you is for your good. But please don't stop there. That's where many 
religious communities can stop. As if my job in trying to get people to come to this church is to tell you what we can do for you. And entire ministries are built on this. We'll make sure we have something for this, 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 and this, right? For your good. Jesus Christ does know you fully for your good. He's not using it for his manipulation. But better than for your good, Jesus Christ's full knowledge of you is for the good of the world as a whole. That's fantastic. Nathaniel, in this brief interaction, sees something in Jesus Christ. And I would say, and I think those of faith would say, this is by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's presence, that he sees Jesus Christ and he knows this is the kind of knowledge that Jesus has for him. And he says, in verse 49, Nathaniel, Rabbi, an affectionate term meaning teacher, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. This is his response to being known. Something about Jesus' knowing of Nathaniel that is not a threat, that is not manipulative, and Nathaniel, therefore, is willing to follow I can't teach this. I can't teach you that Jesus Christ is not out to manipulate. I can't teach that he is trustworthy. I can demonstrate that I have known that in my life, that he is entirely trustworthy. But you will know it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, it won't be in my teaching that you'll know this. It'll be in another time when you're just doing whatever it is. When you're sitting under the fig tree. Or something else. And you know, hang on. I am known in Jesus Christ. I invite you then to pray what Nathaniel said. You are the Son of God. The King of Israel. Declare your faith in Him. And finally, this, this note on greater things. Because you know in the text, it's, Jesus says that, look, you're, you're amazed because I told you that I saw you and knew you, saw you under the fig tree. But you're going to see greater things than this. I, this is important, small, it's minor, but it's, it's important part of teaching in my mind. Particularly if we're asking God to renew us as a church and help us to see more people come to Christ and to see new things happening, this type of thing. That in that regard, we need to get right what, quote, greater things means. Okay? So Jesus says, you will see the heavens open and angels ascending and descending. Why would Jesus say this? Is he saying, I'm going to do a lot more magic tricks? It has to be more than that. Now, there are times when God shows up just with works of power and the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit. But why would Jesus say this particularly? You're going to see angels ascending and descending. What would somebody like Nathaniel know about that image? Those who are good Bible students will know this. What would Nathaniel know Jesus is referring to? He's referring to the story of Jacob running for his life feeling threatened, feeling like his life is in danger, feeling utterly alone. Remember, he's running away. After he himself 
was deceptive. He was a scoundrel. Much of the reason he's running for his life is his own doing. It's in Genesis chapter 28, and he's had to run, and he has nothing. I know he has nothing because he gets so tired, he runs and runs and runs and then can't run anymore. Remember this? And he gets so tired, but he doesn't even have a jacket to put his head on. And so what does he use to rest his head on? You remember? A rock. It's a stone pillow. If you ever have a time in your life where you have to use a stone as a pillow, unless it's just some weird camping trip you're doing, but if it's like a desperation time, which all camping is desperation, but anyway, aside. If you ever have a time in your life where you need to use a rock as a pillow, you're going to remember that time. Jacob uses a rock as a pillow, feeling utterly alone, utterly endangered. And then he has this dream. Do you remember the dream? Jacob's ladder. Angels ascending and descending. And then he hears a voice. And the voice, which we're told is of God, basically says, I am with you and I will bless you. Much more than that. Look at the land, Jacob, all this. But I am with you and I will bless you. You are not alone. Now, why would Jesus Christ say, Nathaniel, you're going to see angels ascending and descending. Was he telling him, I'm going to do all kinds of magic? No, no, that he was saying again, I know you. I will bless you. You'll see astounding things. Don't disbelieve that. But the most astounding and the greatest thing is not, are not these things that catch our attention and feel incredible. The most astounding thing is that Jacob wakes up and he renames the place. He gives this dust. It's got to be dusty and dirty and terrible and God forsaken, right? That's a good description for it. God forsaken. This place that I'm in right now is God forsaken. And what is the revelation that comes to him in this vision of this staircase? God is in this place. Jacob says it to himself. Surely God was in this place and I did not know it. And he calls the place house of God. Nathaniel, you're going to see angels ascending and descending. Nathaniel's not to be impressed by what could appear to be magic, but to follow Jesus Christ and to see the greater things. We had something happen here last week. I won't go into all the details and I won't name the people, but I'm going to be really clear about it and you can just... You can disbelieve me or believe me and want to know more, and maybe I'll tell you. We had a prophetic word delivered in this place last week that was so bang on that you, if I told you, you'd be like, well, that's impossible. That person must have known. But this was a charismatic expression of the presence of the Holy Spirit, one Christian speaking into the life of another in a way that was completely edifying, that made a difference for that individual, but made a difference for the whole body. A a supernatural manifestation of God's presence. You will see greater things if you follow Jesus Christ. And those things should not be discounted. And we should not be told that they don't happen because they do. So when Jesus Christ says to Nathaniel, you'll see greater things, there is that one meaning to it. You will see incredible, spectacular things. But never lose sight, particularly those of you who put your faith in Jesus Christ, but I'd say this to all of us, Never lose sight of what greater things or big things really means. If I say, I come to the podium, the microphone, and I say, God's going to do great things among us in the next three, six months, whatever it is, right? 
I know God's going to do great things. That might well be true. But hear this. Nothing, nothing will be greater than incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and redemption. Those are the greatest things. If God so chooses to show up in your life in a supernatural way, God bless you. But the greatest things, those are not in doubt. Remember that. Nathaniel, if you follow me, you're going to see even greater things than just knowing that I know you. If you believe because I saw you under the fig tree, you'll see bigger things than that. As God was with Jacob and Jacob did not even know it, Nathaniel. Can you imagine that for yourself? Because you can read the Bible and think, yeah, there must have been that time when this guy named Jacob really did hear God, and that must have been incredible. And then go all those years up to Nathaniel, and Jesus is taking Jacob's story and saying, as I was with Jacob, so I'm with you. Now go all the years from Nathaniel to you, and this is the declaration in faith that God knows you and will bless you in Jesus Christ. It's the same for all three in that situation, those circumstances. This is what Jesus Christ is doing in the world. You hold these two things together. We're going to turn to a time of communion. And as you take communion, we always say that communion is for those who know Jesus Christ or would like to. And what I offer you to do as you receive. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is a good way to receive faith in Jesus Christ, to take communion and to say, I put my trust in you, Lord Jesus Christ. If you haven't, you you don't know Jesus Christ and you're not at the point where you say, I would like to, then you can simply let the communion pass by and it's there's no second class person in this room. But for those of us who receive this communion regularly, here's my instruction to you as you receive it. Would you remember as you receive the bread? You could pray this prayer as you receive the bread. How do you know me? And take that bread, his body given for you. And then as you receive the cup, the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for the forgiveness of sins, you say, Lord Jesus Christ, help me to follow you. Those two things as we receive, let's pray together.